How much money are you directly responsible for? Um, the, the venture and buyout portfolios are about $3 billion each. Um, so that's the, the capital. You're responsible business. yourself with a team, but you are answerable to $3 billion. Yes. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We talk each week about how and where venture firms invest their money. We talk less about where that money actually comes from, the LPs or limited partners, Some of it comes from people with great wealth, staggering wealth, but other funds come from firms that collect investors' money. Let's call it a fund of funds, like the kind McKenna Capital creates. Our goal is to drive perpetual returns and perpetual capital. Well, isn't everybody's? (laughs) Uh, So we are trying to have intergenerational wealth um, transfer and and growth. And so we do that with a diversified portfolio. This week, Laura Banks of McKenna Capital. Tell me how you uh, pronounce your name, just so that we can... Uh, I pronounce it Lara. Lara, very good. Was there a Lara in your uh, family? No, my... um, my father loved Dr. Shivago, um, and uh, Julie Christie, who plays Lara, is like someone you know. I, a lot of a lot of actually, if you ask Lara's what they're named after, um, especially if they're not Russian, uh, it's Dr. Shivago. Lara handles venture and private equity investments for McKenna. So I come to you as a sovereign wealth fund or as a family office and say, "Here is some money. Please put it to work so that this money returns to me on a regular basis, not a big score in five years." Exactly. Exactly. So we we actually usually have partnerships that are 10, 20 years long. Um, the goal is for those people to invest and have. Um, we actually provide a five percent dividend if if people wanted to then use that for their um, foundation um, or their school. And then the rest of it is reinvested and continues to compound. And the goal is to then have that money compound for the next generation, um, either at that foundation, um, for the family, uh, or or the school. Give me an example of, you know, I come to you with this money and and obviously just, you know, fictional off the top of your head. What sort of things would you use my money for? 
So we will invest in a fully diversified portfolio. So part of that will go into what we call marketable. So public equities um, will have a, a portion in fixed income. Um, and then we'll have a, a large uh, kind of component in what we call alternatives, which will be private equity, venture, and real assets. And what's an example of a, a private equity? And so the, these are funds. So we're investing in, um, some people might know, like a KKR, that type of fund. We actually try to focus our um, dollars into kind of smaller funds. So people who are investing in the more operationally intensive strategies, the goal is to then bring together um, those companies to then grow those over time and then sell those to either another private equity sponsor, um, to the public markets. Um, so you are putting my money in with, in with other money. You're managing the money. Yes. You're not buying me a railroad. Scott, we I think not. railroads are big. I think that's going to be important. So we bought you a railroad, and that's going to no. give you a return. No. So we we will do what we call co-investments. So a manager who were invested in their fund that has usually, let's call it like 10 to 20 different investments. They might have railroads in that. Um, we will sometimes then invest in one of those companies alongside them. Um, we don't have any governance rule, rights usually. Um, there are a handful where we, we will sit on the board. But the goal is for us to you know, really think about who is this person and group of people who are um, then managing that money and finding those investments. And so we're looking for the craft of investing versus um, necessarily a company that we're going to invest in. What kind of return would make me a good, solid, middle-of-the-road manager? Not, you know, not your all-star and not somebody where you think, you know, we really got to get rid of him. But yeah, you know, solid returns, does his job, yeah, I mean, it depends on the asset class. So um, in venture, it's higher in terms of the return profile. Um, and in buyout, we're looking to outperform the, the public markets. And so it's hard to give you a, a number because it really depends on what the markets are in that period of time. But we're trying to create a spread, what we call an illiquidity premium, over the, the private, uh, over the public markets. Your biography on the website says you're responsible for day-to-day -day portfolio management. What needs to be done day to day? <laughs> uh, there are a lot of kind of small decisions in terms of amendments to different uh, LPAs, but a lot of it is, is kind of relationship building. And um, we are trying to know not only the people who are running the firms, but the people below that and the next generation of talent. Um, we're always looking for that new uh, manager as well. We spend a lot of time on what we call emerging managers. So people who might have started at a KKR or a larger fund and are now deciding um, that they have a particular kind of area of interest, um, a passion area, an area where they think that they can generate differentiated returns. And so they decide to spin out and start their own funds. And that's where we spend a lot of our time is knowing that next tier of talent and then trying to help them as they found these new firms. Um, and so we like to be anchor investors with them as they start. Um, Why? I mean, if you've got a big firm, KKR, um, you know, obviously established, trustworthy, et cetera. If somebody, you know, up and decides they're going to create their own place, be this emerging manager, why bet on them? Usually that's where you actually see the best returns. Um, the motivation of somebody who is, Kind of has a really cushy position. Um, they usually have a very good salary. They have carry in these funds. So that's um, something they have to actually walk away from. So dollars that they've earned that they are not going to get um, if, they, if they leave. But because of that, they have this huge kind of like burning passion of like, I need to create something new to the world. Um, and that motivation is just so 
so highly correlated with stronger returns. Um, there's also an alignment in terms of the economics. Um, these are smaller funds. They're actually generally not making salaries anymore. They are fully aligned with if the returns of these companies generate above what usually is a hurdle rate in these um, uh, funds, then they get a portion of the profits. And so it's all about making those profits. Um, and so that's why we see the returns in that space be uh, just higher than, than others. And if I were thinking about you know, going out on my own and I said, Lara, this is what I want to do, I think I could do it, what would be the main warning you would give me? You know, the Scott, be careful about this. Uh, I'd say the the team building and the management. A lot of people start as deal doers, um, and then they are have a unique angle on how to find and help companies build kind of differentiated moats um, or growth levers. But when you start your own fund, um, you have a whole team that you're responsible for. And there's a lot more management of the people, of the LPs, um, the kind of the operational day-to-day as well usually sits with that managing partner for at least one fund one, maybe even fund two. So there are a lot of things outside of the investing realm that will take up a decent portion of your time. And so you really want to have a person who loves investing, but also has this desire to build and to be an entrepreneur. Because as much as it's not um, a new tech fund company, it's a it's an ability for them to create an organization that outlives them. And so you do like to see that as well as somebody who wants to think about something that will live on past um, their abilities to to kind of create great returns. Your 2022 letter to the investors uh, talked about a soft recession. Uh, I don't think we have seen that. Um, You know, the Fed, we're taping on a day after the Fed, as it sort of indicated, they may begin rate cuts. Uh, Although traditionally, no one actually knows when a recession starts until they're in it, right? Uh, Do you think the company got that right? We um, we thought that there would be one. Um, I think most people did, and we have not seen a, a huge recession. I think in um, in the tech space, you did see a slowing in enterprise sales, um, and that has affected some companies. Just sales cycles elongating, um, but I'd say generally we have not seen a huge dip in uh, kind of consumer uh, demand for products, and that's usually sometimes a, a leading indicator of the the recession. So. Um, we have not seen that as of yet, and it's something that we prepared for. But as I referenced earlier, our goal is to invest um, long term. And so we actually are looking for strategies that can do well across different cycles. Um, and so we're not investing in distress and just looking for kind of capturing those kind of short term opportunities. We're looking for things that actually can survive a downturn, um, but also do well in in up markets. Um, and so it's not kind of core to what we do in terms of market timing. We're looking for great strategies that have kind of durability across market cycles with people who are long-term as well in terms of their motivation to be creating, as I mentioned before, like these longer-term um, businesses. Does that mean you don't care about, say, the that the IPO market's kind of dry? Um, I'd say... Of course we care um, because that does lead to nice distributions. But as we think about it, we invest uh, about the same amount of money 
year in, year out. And that's the goal is to continually invest a certain amount of money. So we have, we call vintage year diversification. So we don't know which vintage is going to be a great vintage, um, but we know that if you have kind of an even pacing across all of the different vintages, you will create a resilient portfolio. Um, So you can think of the glass half full in this environment where IPOs are are scarce, that this is a good time to be investing. and so, but then the other flip side of it is that it's not a great time to be harf- harvesting investments. Um, but we're always buying and selling because of this kind of perpetual nature of our capital base. Um, we are always buyers and sellers. And so um, there are good times and bad times for both of that. And so we may be on the margin. Um, a period of time is better to be a buyer. Um, we're doing that. A period of time is better to be a seller. And we're also doing that. Sand Hill Road will be right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You run the firm's ESG efforts, and that's environmental, social, and corporate governance. Uh, that has fallen out of favor in some groups, uh, but you're still committed to it. We are. Again, we um, we think about the long term. So these investments, were, we hope to have those be continued investments over decades. And so we think about things that are not priced in today. And um, we've kind of retermed uh, this kind of sustainability uh, just because I think that is more in line with what we're thinking about is what is not priced in today that that might be priced in? And how do we think about, you know, helping coach our managers on thinking about those externalities that aren't priced in in the, the market today? And we saw some of that on the social end in terms of how do you treat um, your customers or your stakeholders, um, your employees. And we think about this in the environment too. Um, that, you know, carbon doesn't have a price in the way that um, it might in the future, but we think that if people are ahead of the game and trying to have reduce carbon in the way that they operate, um, they will be better served over the long right, term. Right, because this is not just, you know, kind of a, a woke thing. This is a, this is good for a company overall. It, over the long term, 
these standards will pay off. Yeah. It goes back to actually the beginning of this conversation is that you're asking, you know, are we thinking about three years um, and trying to flip an investment? We're not. We're thinking about the next 10, 20 years. And if we were going to be holders of these companies for that 20-year time period, what would we need? Uh, And I think there has been a short-termism in capitalism. Uh, And so ESG and sustainability, as we talk about it now, is trying to think about this more in a 10 to 20-year horizon, what will be good for um, those companies. And you do that from the very beginning. I mean, on the IC memo, you have already evaluated whatever it is you're investing in, their ESG or their sustainability. Yeah. So we do have a part of our IC memos that discuss sustainability. Um, We also engage with our managers annually on this. And so we have a survey, but we do have conversations with them because everyone's in a different part of their journey and how it affects their companies too. Um, You know, what you would be talking to a venture manager about in terms of sustainability is very different than what you would do with a public, public equity manager. The E in ESG is uh, environment, which is particularly relevant if you're making investments in energy. You know a lot about energy. Yes. What do I not know about energy as a civilian um, that would surprise me or that I should know about? I think something that maybe um, you should know and maybe you already do know is just the electrification of the energy ecosystem is really changing. Uh, And I think that shift from oil and gas to power um, a number of things, but obviously most notably uh, transport, that shift to electricity is a huge shift um, that will occur probably over decades. uh, And that shift is going to be material to I think the carbon input, but also just the ancillary services and um, how we interact with um, the energy ecosystem. So I think that's the biggest shift. Um, We see a lot of managers trying to think about um, that as well in terms of building out um, new infrastructure, but also the software layer around that. Um, How can we make sure that um, there's a better way of load balancing? In the electricity uh, environment, right now we don't have great storage. Um, So if you have too much electricity, there's nothing you can really do about it. And that's what leads to a high price volatility in electricity. Um, But I think there are are huge benefits to um, shift that, both on software in enabling our ability to better use the electricity and manage that, but also on um, storage. And so I think that's going to be the biggest shift that happens over the next kind of couple of years. And do you invest in things that are involved in fossil fuels, or do you see that as something that has when you're looking at a 10 to 20 year, you know, investment don't make sense. We have um, kind of limited the private investments in oil and gas because of that long-term kind of view. That being said, we do see natural gas as a a bridge fuel. Um, I I talked about electricity. We're not going to get to all of electricity be uh, generated by renewable sources in the next five years. Um, So we do need a bridge to the future. And I think natural gas is that clear bridge in our view. And so we have um, some public investments in in those those uh, companies. How much money are you directly responsible for? Um, the, the venture and buyout portfolios are about $3 billion each. Um, so that's kind of the, the capital. You're responsible answer. yourself with a team, but you are answerable to $3 billion. 
Yes. So um, me and my partner, Brian Rohde, who is the managing partner, one of the managing partners of the firm, co-lead um, private equity. And we have a team uh, that, that works on private equity and venture. That ever keep you up at night? Um, I think that, you know, it's all about the partners we have and the confidence that we have in our partners gives us you know, a lot of, uh, you know, faith in the ability for them to generate strong returns for um, our limited partners. Your mother, Carolyn, works in finance as well, back she all does. the way to the 80s, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but it is a long time ago. She would have been one of the few. Um, what did she teach you? You do something very similar. Is that in, intentional that you're doing what your mom did? Or I, does, still no, does. Well, the funny thing is I remember as a kid berating my mom for what she did. <laughs> um, <laughs> Why? Uh, you know, I think as a... Uh, Someone who grows up in a very liberal area where you think uh, managing money is um, a a negative for the world. You don't see the positives of it. Uh, I was probably uh, a little flippant um, in what I would tell her on on the quality or the value of her work. Um, Though what we do is is slightly different. So she works more in the um, kind of private wealth management. I'm more focused on kind of the endowment and foundation world. But there there are a lot of parallels to to what we do. And I think there is an element of seeing um, a very powerful woman, I think, was a great role model as a young woman myself. Um, Right. And again, particularly going back, I don't know how old you are, but but she was starting this in the the early 80s. I mean, you know, women who say, uh, you know, hey, it's a struggle now, and I believe I fully believe it is. Um, I can't even imagine. I, I think of the you know the movie Wall Street. Uh, you know, the only female character in there is Daryl Hannah, mm-hmm. and and she's the attractive interior designer, right? Yeah. I mean, there's nobody in the bullpen <laughs> who's a woman. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it was born of my mom wanted to be self-sufficient. She had this view, I think, from when she grew up of like, I want to be this woman who can do it my, on my own. And um, and so she really was was driven to to do that. I, she also really loves her job. She's, um, I don't say her age, but but she's up there and uh, is uh, is is still working today. And so it's a it's almost a passion project for her and what she does. Um, but it wasn't easy. And she says, you know, she has some war stories of uh, some very difficult times with uh, people. Um, at, at you know, as you would expect. Um, and also just, I mean, if she's a role model in that. You know, we talk about how hard it is a woman today, but she's like, I had you know two kids, and I had a mother's room where. I could pump, and she's like, "Yeah, I, I pumped like on the toilet in the bathroom, in the bathroom with a, a hand pump, you know." Yes. So it's a very different world. Um, but I owe, and I think we all owe a lot to that generation in terms of them blazing the path and showing that it's possible, um, and changing a little bit, even just like the dynamics um, in, the, in the environment. So there's still there's still more, more room to grow, but um, I, I wouldn't have been here without her for for so many reasons. Lara Banks of McKenna Capital. Next week on Sand Hill Road, you were once named the 11th most creative person in the world. Do uh, you know who got 10th? Who kicked you out of 10th? Oh, you do know. That. I I do not know the 10th. I should know that. Ganesh Bell from Insight Partners on his firm's new plan to keep AI on the right track. Sand Hill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. 
That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.